Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Later on, I'll be announcing a giveaway, so stay tuned for that, or skip to the timestamp in the description, but let's jump right in and see what we got. First up, just over a week or so ago, Steeker released a video talking about the Zook series of Mega Man games that weren't actually official Mega Man games, they were bootlegs released in China, and some of the games looked really impressive, especially the first one for the Game Boy Color. I played it for... 30 seconds, and it looked, sounded, and sort of felt like a Mega Man game. The controls felt different, but not bad. It was just different than what you would expect from a Mega Man game. So I absolutely loved the video. I thought it was a very cool glimpse into something that I never knew existed. At the very least, the first game is probably worth hunting down and playing if you have the ability to play ROMs of any kind. Um, I'm not quite sure about the other ones. Stika agreed with that as well. And the only reason I didn't post this sooner is because I'd played on doing a live stream with at least the first one of these games so I could try it out and figured I would post that at the same time as this to, you know, just to try to double promote, but I just never had time to do it. So uh, I definitely still wanted to mention it though, just because it was such an interesting look at something that, you know, uh, bootlegs generally aren't good at all, but this one, at least the first one, looked really great. So if you're interested, please check out Stika's video, and I'd still like to get around to live streaming it. Knowing my luck, I'll probably live stream it tonight or something, just because I'll have an extra few minutes, but uh, it just seems like a really cool thing that I'd like to experience at least once, just to see what it's like. Next, Mike Chi just released the first firmware update to the RetroTank 5X, and it includes a bunch of pretty cool stuff. First is a new 480p sampling mode that's automatically applied. So if you have this new firmware and you're inputting a 480p source and you're outputting to either 480p, 1080p under, or 1080p fill, it'll automatically be in something Mike's calling the DTV858 mode, uh, which replaces the generic 4x3, and you'll get a much sharper sampling of it. I have pictures linked right in this post. If you just click on them for full size, you'll be able to zoom in and get a really good sense of what the difference is. And even though 1080p fill mode is a 2.5x scale, so you're generally not going to get as sharp of an upscale, it's still really sharp in this mode. And in fact, I think that's a pretty cool addition to this. Now, on top of that, 
the Dreamcast is now sampled in the proper aspect ratio. And this wasn't an issue with the original RetroTank 5X firmware. It's an issue with the Dreamcast itself. I went into pretty good detail on this on, I believe it was the DC Digital video. But basically, the Dreamcast output's weird when it's outputting 480p, and now this is fixed on the RetroTank 5X. So you'll be able to get a better aspect ratio, a slightly bigger image that's a better representation of what it should be. And of course, with this new mode, it'll be even sharper. So that's definitely a bonus. There's also a 480p over mode. Now, this is the 5X mode I've always been talking about, and I recently just put that video out about um, how when you have 240p or 480i sources, you could stretch it over the 1080p limit, so you're cutting off a bunch on the top and the bottom, and in most cases, it doesn't matter at all. Now, I didn't really think this was going to be something that would be used for 480p until Mike sent me this firmware and I tested it. And I realized that in some cases, it actually could be a help for 480p as well. Uh, for games like Gran Turismo 4, you actually don't fill the screen top to bottom, even in 480p fill mode. So using the overscan of 480p or of 1080p over gets you something that looks perfect. And, you know, not only do you not lose any space on the top and bottom, but you get to fill more of your widescreen TV without hurting the aspect ratio. So that's always a good thing. And on top of that, I started noticing that while many other 480p games do fill the whole screen top to bottom, developers were still taking into account CRT overscan when 480p was a mainstream resolution. So PS2, uh, Dreamcast, maybe even the original Xbox. And you could see in this example of OutRun, while regular 1080p fill mode does fill the screen top to bottom, there's a ton of space above and below the HUD. So your your speedometer, your tachometer, the time limit, all that stuff, to the point where if you zoom it in, you don't lose a thing. So it might actually be a better way to run it, depending on your console, your TV, your stream, whatever else. You know, as always, I love options. If you don't like the option, you don't have to use it. But I think this is something I'm going to be toggling per game now just to see because I think there's probably many scenarios in which there's games that fill the screen but have nothing useful at the very top and bottom, like with 240p stuff. Uh, and I might actually benefit just by zooming it in a little bit. And this doesn't affect sharpness at all, although I don't believe the 1080p over could use the new uh, DTV858 sampling mode. So from that perspective, I guess it would affect sharpness. So try them all and see what looks best to your eyes. They're not going to affect lag. They're not going to affect anything else. Um, there's also a couple of sync issues that were cleaned up. Uh, a few consoles like the SMS and the Neo Geo were having issues with sync where it was curling up on the top. And now in this version, it fixes most of it. I have the most problematic edition that I know of, of the Neo Geo AES, the 3.6. I wanted it specifically for this reason, so I could test stuff. And it was able to clean it up, just I had to do something like you know, set it to the generic 4x3, then cycle through the other modes, then set it back to 4x3, and then it seemed to work fine. So that was cool. That was, you know, while it's not perfect, once again, this isn't a problem with the retro tank. It's a problem with the sync coming out of the Neo Geo. And the retro tank and pretty much all the other scalers that use it have to try to find a way to adapt to it. Even some monitors get weird with Neo Geo from certain revisions. But funny enough, if you use an MVS with a, a really good super gun, I've never run into any issues like this. So it's got to be some kind of circuitry on there. 
Um, also, there was a few fixes. Mike fixed the 720p input and uh, both upscaling and downscaling output. I believe that was fixed a while back, but I don't know if it made it into the final firmware. So if you had any 720p issues, those should all be cleared up. Um, there's also some improved low-pass filtering to reduce noise. Uh, I kind of looked into that on a few different games, and it it had a different effect depending on the game. And I guess some people may have been having issues with the Saturn as well. So I would expect another firmware, even just a small one with maybe a third LPF option, you know, on, you know, off one and two or something like that. Uh, you know, maybe this new one would be default and then the other one would be a backup. I think Mike really wanted to try to make this as easy as possible, but with retro, there is no such thing as easy when you're trying to plug it into anything digital. Plug this into a CRT, it'll probably work perfect, you know, but going through this, who knows? So uh, it's cool that he's adding more options like that. There's also a chroma offset error, error that resulted in a one to two pixel wide color shift, which I couldn't see unless I zoomed in all the way. So I, I didn't put a um, an example of that on here. And there's a bunch of other uh, weird little things that Mike was cleaning up. So it's kind of one of these things where... It, I would always expect firmware updates after a new product is released. Some are going to be just bug fixes and some are going to be feature enhancing. And if yours is working fine, I normally would say, oh, if you get around to it, do the bug fix update. But this one adds some features that I think you should take advantage of. So if you want more info on the RetroTank 5X, I did that deep dive video where I had pretty much everything you need to know for launch day in there. I also did an interview with Mike talking about all of that stuff. And of course, I also posted a video on how to update your RetroTank 5X's firmware, which um, is something that is very easy to do. But like with many other things, the first time you do it, it might be weird. So check out that video. Um, links for everything you need are right here. And if you're a RetroTank 5X owner, you should probably do this one because you're going to get some cool bonuses from it. This is just a quick update on the status of the Atari Jaguar ROM cart called the Game Drive. These have been in high demand for a while and occasionally a few go up for sale. So I created this post just so I could retweet it whenever it comes back out in stock. Uh, and also I'll try to figure out a way to to repost this on the website so it pops up new in the timeline or something for people that don't really like social media and just want to stick with websites like like fellow old farts like me. <laughs> but basically what's going on is James from Retro HQ is trying to make as many of these as possible, but with part shortages and a million other things going on, he's making them in a, as big of a batch as possible and then shipping those to resellers. So I have links in here for the US and UK seller. At the time of recording this, the US seller is out of stock and the UK seller still has a few in stock, but who knows by the time this comes out. So if you were waiting on one of these and you weren't able to get it picked up this time, keep an eye on retro RGB, keep an eye on uh, any social media accounts. And every time they come back in stock, I will tweet to let everybody know the next batch should be pretty hefty. So it should be stock for weeks, not days, but who knows the Jaguar is way more popular than, uh, than one would have guessed. So these might go out of stock immediately. I don't know. That's why I, I wanted to make this post to keep everybody in the loop. Uh, there's also a new beta firmware that adds Jaguar CD support. 
Um, and I also did an interview with James from Retro HQ that talks about all of this cool stuff. So uh, I will keep everybody in the loop as to when these things come in stock and when, you, where and when you could get them. But for now, maybe bookmark this page as a placeholder and I will update it and I'll leave on top like in bold updated June 1st or something anytime there's any kind of status update but at least the links are there for everything you would need. Last Friday Terra Onion announced a new device that seems really intriguing. It's essentially a new version of their SSDS3 or Super SD System 3 which was a device that outputs composite video and RGB as well as acts as a ROM cart for Hue cards and an optical drive emulator for all of the discs as well. It even supported all arcade card games, and generally worked great. Uh, I guess the first batch had AV issues, but since then it's been pretty solid and was really just overall a well-performing device. But this one kind of takes it to the next level. Um, I believe they'll be discontinuing the old one, and with the new one, it adds the same exact functionality, Plus, it emulates the Super Graphics chips. So if you want to play a Super Graphics game, you don't need to actually own a Super Graphics. You could use it on any Core Graphics or TurboGrafx-16. And it also outputs HDMI. And here's where that gets really interesting, because as far as I know, and I could be wrong, but I think only two consoles output digital ports on the outside. So as with some of these HDMI mods you've seen, like with the N64, the Game Boy Advance, and all of that, it requires a pretty complicated mod that taps all the digital signals right on the motherboard. But GameCube and PC Engine Turbo Graphics have those digital pins right in the back, which is why we're able to get things like GC Video plug-and-place devices like the Prism, and it's also why you're able to get digital video signals from a Turbo Graphics. There was one other incredibly expensive device that did this, uh, but this one is really looking to completely give you all features necessary. And at the moment, they're going to be outputting 720p through HDMI, but they're also going to be outputting RGB from that as well. Now, I believe they're only going to allow one output at a time. I could be mistaken because this is all speculation based on the Terra Onion Direct and chatter uh, with their developers in their Discord server. Um, but that kind of makes sense because they're taking the digital signals and converting that to RGB, which means that if you want to play on a, any kind of RGB monitor, you don't have to worry about jail bars at all or even through the HDMI port. And that's because even if you have a mint condition PC Engine or Turbo Graphics, even if you did a full uh, stock cap replacement to it, you're still going to get jail bars in almost every single model. You would have to do a different mod to it that changes out a couple of surface mount capacitors, which isn't too hard to do, but it's still a mod. And if you have a perfectly good condition core graphics that doesn't need any work done to it, you wouldn't, you know, most people wouldn't really want to go through the trouble of all of that. And now you just don't have to worry because with getting the digital video signals, you plug this device in and HDMI and RGB will be perfectly clean. Uh, now, of course, still check your consoles to make sure they need upgraded and all of that. But alternatively, if you use any analog video solution, internal or external, you're going to get jail bars on pretty much all of these consoles unless you replace or, or add on a couple more capacitors for filtering. So this is a pretty cool thing. Now you could buy one device, and if you have a couple of different consoles, you know, a, a Core Graphics, a Turbo Graphics, and a I don't know, even a super graphics, you could just use one device on all of them to play all the games to get perfectly good quality output. 
and I think there's going to be a few other options with the menu and uh, cover art and stuff like that as well. Respectfully, I'm way more interested in the video output quality as well as the super graphics support. And the only other thing to talk about with that is... I believe, once again, this is speculation based on what I've seen, but I believe the FPGA that's built into this is emulating only the super graphics chips, not everything else. So from that perspective, if I'm right, you have a device that you're totally using original hardware, and you could even use original Hue cards if you wanted, but you're using all original hardware, you're using your original controller, and the only thing that you're actually emulating is the bits that allow you to play the small handful of super graphics games just for the heck of it. So this is kind of like a hybrid between using old and new versions. And I know some people, I guess, were disappointed that, oh, well, if it's FPGA, it's not real hardware, so it doesn't matter. I really don't think that. I mean, I wouldn't think that anyway. Even if this was a brand new FPGA console, I wouldn't think that. But especially in this case, because the purpose of this is to use as much of your original hardware as possible. And oh, by the way, we're also going to throw some super graphic support in there as well. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to get one of these to review. I'm certainly interested in it. There's also another feature that respectfully I didn't really care too much about. Um, I guess you could load other cores onto this as well, and they're shipping it with an NES core. And that's cool, but for about 300 bucks, if I wanted to run cores, I'd buy a Mister. But if I want to use my original hardware and my original controllers and still have that tactile plug-in-my-hue-card-in feel, this is definitely the device that I would want to use on my original uh, PC Engine or Turbo Graphics. So, you know, maybe I'm totally wrong. And it's I, I kind of hope I am wrong. I hope people buy this device and embrace it and a bunch of people throw some cores on there. I don't know how they'd handle... Uh, consoles with more than two buttons because those six button turbo graphics controllers are pretty rare but you know i hope it just becomes a cool way for people to mess with stuff but for me personally what i really care about is now there's a plug and play solution that supposedly could get really good quality video out of there good quality audio and can play every single game from the full turbo graphics and pc engine library so I'll, I'll hopefully have a review when this thing comes out. If you'd like to pre-order yours before seeing a review, it's still uh, available, I believe, at the moment. Links to everything that you need are all in here. So definitely give the Terra Onion Direct a watch and stay tuned for more info. Pre-orders have just opened on a new retro platform called the C256 Phoenix Gen X. This one's going to be kind of difficult to describe, so I'll try my best. I spoke to the creator of this, Stephanie, who gave me some more insight as to what this is and why. And at the moment, I feel like it's going to be developer-focused, but hopefully that'll change as time goes on. But basically, it's a brand new platform that it has nothing to do with any other existing platform, but that's made with retro chips and, and retro processors and stuff. So basically, it's a case and motherboard that's the backbone or spine of the system, which will kind of normalize everything onto one platform, one set of APIs to the inputs and outputs, and then there's going to be different compute modules that you could plug into each. Now, these are going to be designed as if it were the, a CPU of a console or, I guess, retro PC. And while they are based on chips that have been used in previous platforms, it's not meant to emulate that at, in any way. So, for example, one of the choices is a 486DX266 processor, but this isn't a retro PC. You're not going to just boot Windows on this. This is designed for people that want to make games 
or any kind of software on these different platforms. So as a whole, it makes sense in that, you know, one major thing to program for with different compute modules, as Stephanie's calling it, that's uh, that really is the heart of it all. And then why is certainly an interesting question, and why is something that I kind of have mixed feelings on? So here's this new retro hardware that could do a million different things. Stephanie's perspective on why is nowadays you don't really find a brand new platform that you get to discover things on your own or create things from scratch. Nowadays, you jump on board to projects that are already out there, or if you do have a newer project, it's still at least based on existing code, existing platforms and APIs and stuff, whereas this is aiming to do everything from scratch. So if you're somebody who wants to make their own custom software to interface with their hardware to make digital music, chiptune style stuff. This would be awesome. Or if you want to make specific types of games, there's just a, an endless amount of things you could do with this. But at the moment, it you need to do all of it. So that's why I kind of said this is a developer platform at first, because there needs to be software for it to be have any user base to begin with. You know, the other side of that is, and I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here. I'm not trying to take anything away from the project, but if you do have limited time for a hobby, what do you prefer more? Would you want to do something new and unique that no one's ever done before? Or would you want to spend your time picking up part of the Mr. Project and tweaking FPGA course to be more accurate or something else? And the honest answer to that is whatever you feel like doing. So uh, I think it's incredibly cool that projects like this could even exist at all. And I really do hope it takes off and does well, but it at least starts with people who develop on it. So if you're the type of person that wants to tinker on this and doesn't mind spending a chunk of cash because it's going to be about 700 bucks for the main unit pre-assembled and one of the compute modules, give or take a little bit. So if you don't mind spending a bit and you really want a platform that could that could really be something that you build yourself pretty much, um, this is definitely the one for you. If you just want to dip your toe in the water of programming and creation, this probably isn't your isn't where you would want to start. But hey, for all I know, maybe this would be an awesome first project because you could dive right in. I'm not a programmer. Uh, I've always been kind of a hardware guy. So I'm just trying to relate the the feel of the project as well as the tech specs told to me by Stephanie. So if you're slightly interested in this, definitely at the very least read the post, um, then check out the C256 Phoenix website and see if it really feels like something that you'd want to start working on. But I'll keep everybody in the loop if this project takes off uh, and they are due to ship around the fall. Of course, with all part shortages, who knows, but I think around the fall is probably a reasonable time period. Retro Gamer Store has just opened pre-orders on a Super Famicom transparent case. I think it was just last week or the week before I said that this might be months in the future, and I love being wrong, because it's available for pre-order right now. On top of that, you could add on a second piece that replaces the top piece of the Super Famicom shell with one that fits Super Nintendo cartridges as well. Now, you can't use this on an original one, whereas it will actually fit. There's still parts of the top case itself on the original Super Famicoms that prevent the actual Super Nintendo carts from going into it, whereas this shell was designed slightly different to accommodate all of them. So it really is the best of, of every situation here. Um, you get to replace yellowed and cracked Super Famicom 
Capcom cases, which there's lots of them. Now, if you want to, you could add the ability to also play console or cartridges from North America. It won't play PAL carts, obviously, but you know, before you would have to use some kind of Game Genie or take the top off or something like that. Whereas now you could have a completed solid unit that could play both types of carts. So overall, it's just, I, I love stuff like this. Um, if you want to do mods to it, you know, go ahead, hack the heck out of this one because it's a replacement. But I think this one is really going to be used for people that have yellowed and cracked shells um, or for people that really want to upgrade. But as I said last week, if you have a really good quality original shell, put that up on eBay for a reasonable price and let somebody who wants an all original look but has a cracked yellow shell have another chance to breathe life into that console. So I actually did the opposite. I picked up on eBay, a very beat up Super Famicom that was cr- every piece of it looked like it was cracked and brittle just to install this case into for testing. So uh, I'm always very happy that stuff like this breathes new life into consoles. I know I said that already, but um, the only other thing to add is there's a couple of delays in the previous pre-orders and possibly this one as well. Could be a few weeks to a month due to different lockdown related stuff. So I don't really think anybody would would be surprised or upset by by delays that are completely out of people's hands but i did want to keep everybody in the loop as to why your original pre-orders if you got the super nintendo one might have been coming a little bit late but overall i'm just excited to get all these i like clear cases for consoles and i especially like it in the scenario in which you have something that originally could be just falling apart right now so excited to get these i'll uh i'll do some sort of review as soon as i get them uh, i can't imagine a 10 minute video on this but at the very least a youtube short and some social media posts showing it off I just did a podcast with Rourke right from his hospital room. Uh, for anybody that hasn't heard, Rourke was in a really bad accident, and at first it didn't look like he was going to pull through, and then it didn't look like he was going to be able to keep his leg, and he's actually pulling through great. Uh, he's in amazing spirits, and he was even able to stand and hop on one leg. Still not able to put pressure on the other leg yet, but I wanted to do a podcast with him to check in, to get his story out there, because it's a terrifying and kind of crazy story. Um, there's some even sub-stories in there, like right what happened right when he woke up and his tattoo. There's like... I don't know. It was nuts. I've been talking to him on and off uh, since he woke up pretty much. And I just really wanted to, to talk and and kind of just hang out with him and kind of talk with all of you as well. So uh, that's available as always everywhere. You could find audio podcasts. Hopefully iTunes will be fixed again soon. I keep emailing them and getting nothing. Um, also available as a video. And of course, uh, to promote this now, I wanted to do a giveaway. And I have better footage that I'll show in a second, but basically it's one of his clear controller shells for the NES with the clear buttons, the clear D-pad, and these are convex buttons, not concave buttons. So it's more like the Game Boy style, which I know a lot of people really like that uh, and prefer using that. So this is going to be something where in order to be eligible for this giveaway, just post the word giveaway on that podcast video. Not this video, not on Reddit, post giveaway in, you know, right in that YouTube video from, you know, the one titled Rourke Live from the Hospital. I want to do that for a couple of reasons. One, because I like giving stuff away, uh, but also because I just want to share Rourke's story with people. Maybe it'll get caught in the algorithm and more people will hear it. Um, There is a GoFundMe if you're in the position to help out with medical bills and stuff, but you don't need to do that to be eligible to get this. All you need to do is just post the word giveaway in that video 
and I will do a drawing next week on this podcast and announce the winner. I also included the original NES controller shell in there just uh, so there, to show you all there's no waste ever here. I make sure to use everything. Um, so I'll, I'll be able to ship this out. I'll pay for shipping. Doesn't matter where in the world it is. But I really just kind of want to share Rourke's story, hopefully get the GoFundMe in front of people. You know, but once again, that's totally optional. And feel free to just post with this. So one last time... Post the word giveaway in the comments of that video, not this video. And next week, I'll do a drawing, and I will be able to give this very awesome NES controller away to a lucky winner. So best of luck to Rourke. I can't believe he went through all that, and he's still smiling and happy, and he's the same dude as he was before he went in. So definitely check out that podcast and hear that story. Kevin Millett has just opened pre-orders on a battery pack for the Wonderswan handheld console. The battery pack itself is tapered and shaped so that it could maximize the amount of space you can get with a lithium-ion battery, but without covering any of the label for the game cartridge. So you still get the same look and feel of a Wonderswan, but a rechargeable battery pack. Pre-orders are $65 plus shipping, and... Kevin said this is intended for Wonderswan color users who upgraded to an IPS screen kit. I don't think it was mandatory that you do that. I think that was just kind of the intention. So I'm not sure if the battery will last longer or shorter with the original or whatever else, but that was kind of what Kevin had in mind when he made this. And also as a fun bonus, um, Kevin's also been working on an e-ink based ROM cart for the Wonderswan. Uh, and anybody who purchases this will automatically be eligible for a 10% discount on the ROM cart whenever that becomes available, uh, which there's no, I don't think there's any solid info on when that would be available for pre-order or, or even a target date. But it's nice to, uh, nice to know that if you invest in this now, you'll kind of get more from that store later on. So if you're a Wonderswan fan, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want one of these. I've never even used one of these before, and I don't know if I've ever even seen one in person, so maybe I'm missing something, but uh, a cool rechargeable battery pack seems like an awesome upgrade, especially if you play a lot, so you don't want to worry about dead batteries and stuff. And of course, I'll keep everybody updated as soon as there's any word on the ROM card as well. Gamebox Systems has just open-sourced a project they're calling the GBA DVI, and this is not going to be something they're putting up for sale. They've just open-sourced it and released the bomb and the full design files on GitHub, and I think this lays the groundwork for some really cool Game Boy Advance stuff. Basically, this board is designed around a Spartan 6 FPGA that pulls digital video signals from a 40-pin revision of the Game Boy Advance. There's no audio with this, so you still have to get audio from the 3.5mm jack, and there's no support for the other version of the Game Boy Advance, only the 40-pin revision. So while this is awesome, I really feel, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like this isn't a project that most do-it-yourselfers would want to assemble, because it's a very small pinout. Um, I'm not sure how easy, if at all, most people would be able to assemble these boards by hand. And you still have to find a different way to mix in the analog audio with the digital signal. However, on the other side of things, I think this might be a great jumping off point and the backbone for even more Game Boy Advance work. So maybe somebody will fork the project and integrate their own analog to digital audio converter and maybe add any extra features because I believe at the moment it just outputs straight 720p with no other options, but maybe more features could be integrated into this or you know, maybe somebody could adjust the adapter to work on a different version of the Game Boy Advance. 
Whatever you end up using this for, it doesn't matter. It's just awesome that people in the retro gaming world are able to take projects like this and open source them for the rest of us to benefit from, hopefully. Um, If you have any questions about open source, please check the podcast we did a few weeks ago. While we're by no means the definitive source of open source info, uh, I think we clarified a lot of confusion um, and kind of set people on the right path of what to look for. But depending on the license they use to open source this, it could end up doing a lot of stuff. So the fact that this isn't a product that you can go buy right now probably doesn't mean anything because this will probably be the stepping stones to something even better coming out in the future. So thanks very much to Gamebox Systems for open sourcing this and for taking the time to do the design and posting all the files. And I'm certainly interested in to see in seeing what comes out of this project. And I'll keep everybody in the loop if anything about if anything surfaces or if there's any new revisions or of course if there's a place that you could just go buy it. Well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks so much to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody who supports in any way possible. The monthly support services are amazing, but if you don't have the ability to do that and you still want to help, just go to retrorgb.com forward slash support, click on the eBay or Amazon links, and then buy whatever you are going to buy anyway for the same exact price. Uh, But the few pennies that come out of that help support the website, the podcast, all of the behind the scenes work, and all the craziness I'm involved in. So thank you. Thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.